0: Well, Pastor Bonnie kind of stole my thunder there by asking you if you've said good morning yet. So I'll just say some of you said good morning. Some of you said good afternoon. Some of you said good evening. Nobody said good night yet, so that's good. Um, I'm sure that's coming though. But I do want to welcome you, and I do encourage you to go back to the back and and talk with Ashley or someone. You know, we talk so much about who we are and what we believe and how you can get connected. And if that's something Red or Sam said to you tonight interests you and you're looking... to get connected there, I I encourage you to go back and talk with them, or you can grab one of these connect cards on your way out, fill that out and let them know that you're interested in that. And they will get back with you for sure. They're excited about that team. You know, we are moving closer and closer to a building where we're not going to be in this location anymore. And we're real excited about that. We're praying about that and looking forward to that. Uh, But we're not waiting until we move to get things started. We're trying to get people in and get you plugged in now, get you some experience, some support, so that you feel encouraged. All the things that you heard them talk about in the video. So I want you to be aware of that. Uh, Also, you heard about in the announcements that one service is starting on Mother's Day. So be aware of that. That's going to be at 10 o'clock. That's coming up in just a few weeks. And this past week, Pastor Bonnie and Pastor Jack and I were out at the new property uh, Tuesday morning at 6.30, because uh, we're dedicated to this. No? But we're excited. What they were doing is they were pouring the foundation for the children and youth area and uh, the bathrooms and another gathering area. And we had the privilege of being there first thing in the morning and writing some Scripture verses in the actual cement there. And So we're excited about that. Will you start with me praying about the people that God's going to bring? Just start right now praying for families and people that are going to come that need Jesus just like you and me, that want to have a place that they call home just like you and me. Will you do that with me? And so if you'll do that, I know you'll be encouraged by it and families will be changed as a result of that. I also want to remind you, you're here tonight, so you've got to be really dedicated if you're going to try to come back tomorrow. But if you're watching us online, there's no church here tomorrow morning. And that, that's because of the Ironman race. You know, a few years ago we had some legal issues, and one of the cyclists got hurt really bad. And so uh, we want you to just be praying for them as they're competing tomorrow. And um, you take that day to enjoy with your family. And make sure you go out and get me a birthday present, because I turn 49 tomorrow. And so... Yeah, I know. I don't look a day over 50. I understand. But um, we are going to have Celebrate Recovery tomorrow night. We have that every week of the year, every Sunday night of the year, 52 weeks. So they're still going to be here Sunday night at 5 o'clock. All right, let's pray, okay? And then we're going to ask God to bless us tonight. Lord, thank You for this time that we have before You. Thank You for the worship we've had. Thank You for the fact that You meet us here and You speak to our hearts and You encourage us and lift us up in our faith. And so I'm praying that you've done that already. And if you haven't done that so far, that you would use these words that I am going to share to do that in people's lives. That they would be changed as a result of what I am sharing that comes straight from your heart. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this past week, I'm in the office and my son is there doing some schoolwork and he's across the room and I say to him, hey, is there a Snickers bar in that box right by you? And he said, yeah, you want one? And I said, yeah. So in our home, we just say, if I say pass me a Snickers bar, he's actually going to throw it to me. And so he did, but he was an offensive lineman and not a quarterback. And so when he did that, it hits the water bottle on my my desk, which is open which pours out onto my phone, my computer, my pants, and my sermon notes. And so everything's just kind of soaked, and I jump up, and I just decided, you know what? I wasn't really sure about what I had in those notes anyways, and so I kind of tossed those aside. And I was wondering if this was God's way of telling me to get rid of the sermon notes or not eat the Snickers bar. And, and I, st- I still don't know the answer to that, so... Um, but we'll work through that. I never did figure that out. But uh, when our kids were growing up, the boys played with action figures a lot. They used like th- things like Indiana Jones figures and Star Wars. And baseball. They put, went outside and played baseball and football and basketball and soccer. Are you noticing a theme here? And so everything for us then kind of changed about five years ago when Lana and I started dating. And there were finally girls around in our f- family for the first time. And when you have all boys who are all knuckleheads, and then you put them together with a couple of girls, uh, you learn things really quick that life is just different with girls around. And I know I've shared that with you folks before, but it's really true. And I go through all kinds of things that I say, well, I never saw myself doing that. That's a first for me. That's another one that I've never done. And so one of the ones that I just thought I'd share with you that, that that was a first for me was the first time I ever played with Barbies. Now, I don't make a habit out of that now, okay? Kind of got that one out of my system. But one night I was watching Collins, who was five at the time, and, and uh, Lana was out. And this was before we got married and before I had moved in. And, and she wanted, Collins asked me to play Barbie's with her. And so we got, we got in the living room where her Barbie dream house is. And I think I have a picture of that up on the screen for you. And so, uh, you know, when you look at those, I want you to notice how everything looks new and normal and clean and perfect and plastic probably just like your house right? And before I knew it, there I am on the floor. I'm knee deep in the middle of their relationship. And it's like I had a front row seat into their home. Ken and Barbie right there in front of me. And if this was a reality show, I'd record every episode so that I could binge watch the whole thing all at once. And it wasn't too long into this that I found out, wait a minute, Ken and Barbie aren't married. And so I did some shotgun premarital counseling with them right there. (laughs) True story. And then we did a wedding right there. I actually had Ken stand to the side and Barbie walked in to music. And, and so as, as she came down the aisle and they got there up front, I said, dearly beloved, we've come together in the presence of God and witness the joining together of this man and this woman in holy matrimony. And then I got through to the real important part and I said, Ken, do you take this woman, Barbie, to be your wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, till death do us part? And then I got to Barbie, and I asked her the same things. Do you take this man to be your husband, to have him told, and so on? You'll be happy to know that they both said, I do. And we went through the whole ceremony, and I don't know if Collins was just as mesmerized as I was, but I was actually proud of myself for remembering how to go through that without the little book that you need with the notes. And so... This past week, I started thinking about that a little bit. I thought about Ken and Barbie and their perfect life in their perfect house with the slide and the Corvette and their perfect kids that will never talk back and their perfect dog that never pees on the floor and they can always find the remote and all of those things that that are going on. This life that they're building together is really pretty perfect until life isn't pretty anymore. You know, one day that Barbie house, that dream house, is going to need a new roof on it. Or that family is going to outgrow the Corvette, and they're going to have to switch to a minivan instead. Or what about when the kids actually do start talking back to them, instead of being a united front, and one of them sides with the kids? What will Ken and Barbie do when the kids keep them up at night, because they've rebelled, and they've turned their back on God? How will they handle it when Ken and Barbie are so busy shuttling them to activities that they never actually see each other until they're falling into bed at night exhausted? I mean, they're too tired to satisfy each other at that point, but their kids are getting noticed by college scouts, so it's okay. What will happen when someone or something comes in between them? Like if trauma brings distance between them because the thought of physical touch makes one of them physically sick. What about when friendships with other people cut into the time that they have as a couple? What about if addictions get into play and they become more important than the admiration they used to have for each other? You know what I'm talking about. When one of them has to stop for a drink on the way home to unwind just because the family stresses them out. Or when they really look forward to that time at work with their work wife and they look forward to that and they look for excuses to talk to them and swing by their desk or bring them more paper or another cup of coffee. Or when one finds out that the other isn't spending too much and the debt just keeps piling up and piling up. Or when one learns that the other has been on the internet and so passwords are being hidden and access is being denied to devices, phones, computers, iPads. You know what I'm talking about. All of those things can make marriage hard. And it can lead Ken and Barbie to wonder if they really did the right thing when they said, till death do us part. And if Ken and Barbie struggle to have the perfect marriage, how are the rest of us ever going to make it. The good news is Jesus can and wants to help you in your marriage. He wants you to stay together. So over these next several weeks, we started this series last week called Till Death Do Us Part. It started last week where Pastor Jack kicked it off by telling us about the expectations that we have within a marriage. And he kind of pointed us to this passage in Ephesians 5 where he says, Husbands, love your wives. And wives, respect your husbands. And this is only possible when each of you is submitted to one another out of reverence for Christ. Tonight, we're going to continue with that next topic, secrets. This is important because marriage is not a human idea. It's actually an institution that's created by God. Genesis 2.24 tells us, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man will leave his father and mother, and he will cleave to his wife, and he will receive her as God's perfect gift. This is not, marriage is not just a piece of paper, it's a covenant, it's a binding, solemn agreement, a sacred vow, and a public declaration that you make between one man and one woman before God for a lifetime. And it requires both of them making holy promises to God and to that spouse to care for and love and cherish and remain faithful to each other for life. Those are words that I say in every wedding ceremony that I officiate. Yes, even the one that I did with Ken and Barbie. And once you start in a relationship like that with someone, you have to decide what kind of marriage you will have. Will this be a marriage of convenience where you do you and I do I? I know I should have said me, but I wanted it to sound the same way. But basically, where one person has their own life, they kind of do their own thing, and the other has their own life, and they kind of do their own thing, and maybe once in a while they pass each other like shits in the night, but it doesn't really matter if we don't because we're just here because we need somebody else there to support us. Or will it be a marriage of conflict that instead of saying, I do, You're wondering what that other person is going to do for you. Or will it be a marriage of complete intimacy where each of you makes the other more like Jesus? Let me ask you, which one of those do you think Jesus wants you to have? It's the third one, just in case you don't know. But if becoming like Jesus is the goal for your marriage, and it should be, you can't hide things from Him and that person that's next to you just because it feels good to you. Let me say this. You can't hide if you want to become holy. I'm going to say that again. You cannot hide if you want to become holy. So instead of trying to keep secrets from God and your spouse that He gave you, you need to get to the place where you can see the benefit of bringing these things into the light and letting Him deal with them where God can heal them and change them and restore that relationship and help you stick together till death. And so I want to spend the night showing you how a marriage like that should look. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14-16. through 16. So just before Paul gets to that passage that that Pastor Jack talked about last week, here's what he says. Ephesians 4, verses 14-16. through Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the wind and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemings. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the Head, that is, Christ. "...from Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Eugene Peterson says that what we know about God and what we do for God have a way of getting broken apart in our lives. And when Paul writes this letter to the Ephesian church, he's joining together things that have been torn apart by our sin-wrecked world. He begins with what we believe about God. And then like a surgeon, Peterson writes, he sets this compound fracture back together, joining that with how we should behave. And so when you look at that, once we start to take a look at this, we notice that these fractures are happening all over the place. We see them happening in our city, in our jobs, in our school system, in our churches, and especially in our families. And that's why this series is helpful for all relationships. The things that I'm going to share with you tonight are specifically designed to help with a marriage. But I think if you practice these things, you're just going to be a better person overall because you're working to speak truth to people in love and be the kind of Christian that God wants you to be. And so to do this, we've got to get out in the open with how we deal with people, and we've got to deal with them lovingly and honestly, and I think even biblically. And so the question we're going to ask tonight is how can you show love to those you live with? Well, the first way you do that is you have to realize you have some growing to do. I had to get a new phone not too long ago. It's been a few years now. And so that meant that the phone number I had for almost 15 years had to change. And I tried to notify everyone about that, but every now and then I'll get somebody that says, hey, I reached out to you. Do you have a new number? Because the guy that that answers, uh, he's always really nice, but, but he just tells me, oh, you're looking for Pastor Mike. This isn't his number anymore. And it happened last week again. So I reached out to the guy finally. And I just said, I sent him a text and I said, Look, I, I'm Mike. Well, my friends call me Pastor Mike and they keep bothering you trying to find me. So I just wanted to let you know how much I appreciate the fact that you're so kind about it over and over and over. And the guy, I don't know his name, he said, Oh, it's really not a hassle. In fact, sometimes I even pray for them because I realize they're trying to find a pastor. And I hope they always get back to you. And so I thanked Him for that. And when you're trying to get a message to someone, you need to be able to know how to get a hold of them. And so Paul is writing this and and earlier in chapter 4 he's been talking about how God has has gifted people to do things and, and he's given evangelists and pastors and teachers and he says in order to equip people for works of service so that the body of Christ will be built up and become mature. And I can't think of a better place to practice that than in a marriage. Nobody agreed with me on that. Okay, maybe you will by the end, right? And so when Paul says, then we will no longer be infants, he's pointing to the end result that we should have. You can't get to the place God wants you to get in your marriage without maturity. But you can be married for many years and still be childish and unskilled like an infant where you have weak knowledge and you're inconsistent in the judgments you have and you're yielding to temptation easily and regularly. And if you aren't grounded in your faith, it's very easy to get blown and tossed by the waves here and there like he's talking about. This is where things like doubt and hesitation can knock you off course out of nowhere like a violent wind. And so all of a sudden you realize you're not where you were. And how do you get back to that? The devil will do everything he can to undermine the gospel in our life because he knows that our peace and our power come from Jesus. And He cannot stand against the Gospel working in your life. And so, Paul says in verse 14 again, he gets to this and he says, these things happen by the cunning and the craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. The devil specializes in cheating and in lying and making you think that you're okay when you're not. And if He can get you to wander or stray from the truth that's in God's Word and what you vowed to do on your wedding day, that's when you start to believe, it's okay for me to lie and cheat and steal and keep secrets a little bit. In fact, why don't we just live by the motto, don't ask, don't tell. And so that's what's happening in our lives. And we don't have to look very far in the Bible to see this happen. We only have to look to chapter 2 of the whole book where Adam and Eve are there in the garden and Satan shows up and he says to Eve, did God really say what you, what you said? He said, I mean, come on, maybe you, you... Let me just tell you, the devil knows what God said. And that's why it's important for you to know what God says. And he will show up in every marriage looking and trying and do everything he can to destroy what you've pledged before God. He will get you to look longer than you should at that pretty woman that just walked by. He'll get you to send a friend request to someone that you know you should decline. You shouldn't hit that button to accept it. You should send them packing. He'll tell you that in, to order that thing online that you have to have. And He'll convince you to hide it. He'll tell you to add water to that Yeti cup so nobody else will know what else is in there. He'll tell you things like you have to change shirts so nobody will hear or smell what you put in your mouth or what's on the rest of your body. He'll tell you, your spouse has changed and they just don't understand you anymore. And so it's time for you to trade them in on a better, newer, younger, prettier model than the one you have. He'll have you say things like, I do, and then a few years later wonder, why in the world did I do that? Let me just tell you, when you stand before God and pledge with someone to be married, you're not just promising that to yourself. You're not promising to love them and cherish them and to have and to hold them. You're promising to do that for the person that's standing next next to you and so if you're kicking them to the curb you're breaking that promise that you made right then and this is why you and I have some growing to do If you're going to have a marriage that lasts, you will need to develop a plan that will make sure that there is isn't us at the end of that. It means that you'll need to remember how God brought the two of you together. What is your story about that? And that you promised to stick it out with them. It will mean that you're stuck to them and you're stuck with them and that for better or worse, and you'll know that that's a good thing and nothing's going to change that. But if you're here tonight and you're a single parent and don't want to be, listen, I know what that's like. It's hard. But I encourage you, if you're not married right now and you're hearing this, think about what you can be doing with your kids to teach them the kind of marriage that they should be looking for. One of the things that I do with our sons every week is I I take a chapter of Proverbs and whatever day it is, so for, for example, today is the... Seventeenth. Okay, so today's the 17th. I'll look in Proverbs 17 and I'll find a verse there and I'll type that out to them and I'll give them an explanation of that verse and maybe a story or two about how I've either screwed that up really bad or sometimes I do it really well. But I call that Proverbs that prepare you because I want these men in my home to know how they're supposed to act when they're no longer in the home. And so what are you doing to train your kids? Be patient. Tell, teach them to be patient and to wait for who God brings them. Have conversations with them. Model that for them. Let them see you walking this out. Let them see you growing spiritually. And if you're single but available, make sure that you're growing so that you can be, be, be the man or woman that God wants you to be and you can be ready to love them when God brings them your way. So how can you love those you live with? Well, the second way is you, you have something that you need to say. Years ago, I was pastoring a church, and two ladies were mad at each other. I mean, they're ready to duke it out. They're not just annoyed a little bit with each other. This was actually like Real Housewives of Franklin County, Ohio. And so, really, one of them stands up in the middle of church and blasts the other one. When she's not there... And we don't even, I don't even say amen in the service before that lady knows what the other one said about her. And when I called her about it and talked with her the next day, she said very so angrily, I spoke the truth. And I said, yeah, but you forgot to do it in love. We can do the same thing in our own marriages and homes, can't we? Paul wants us to know that now that we believe in Jesus, this should change how we behave, especially in the way that we talk with one another. Because we have something we need to say. And you and I can learn to start growing together, but we also have to learn to start talking together with each other. And that means that we talk with each other and not at each other. It also means that we pay attention to how we talk with each other. I know couples that have been married for years, for decades, and still don't know how to do that. They've been married so long and screaming at each other so long, when they type out a message, they automatically go to all caps. Because that's how they talk all the time with each other. But that's not good, is it? Especially if that's all you do every single time. We need to teach our kids and model this that when you do that, it teaches kids to walk on eggshells and fear every conflict. Or it teaches them to start looking for a fight even when there isn't one. I know other couples that decide to keep secrets from their spouse because they think they're doing that out of love. I'm protecting them. If I told them what I did or what I said or what I thought or where I looked, it would hurt them. And since I love them, I'm just going to keep it quiet. Listen, What if you showed them real love by talking with them and working through why you wanted to keep that a secret? Sure, it's going to hurt and it's going to be hard and you're going to have to work to rebuild trust with them. But when those secrets cease, our freedoms increase. That's something we say at Celebrate Recovery each and every week. When our secrets cease, our freedoms increase. What would it be like for you to start living that way? I know other couples that may have someone, they already know the secret that the other one's trying to hide, but they don't really know how they should address it and wonder if they should address it. Should I bring it up? It might just make them mad. But what if you bring it up? What if I bring it up and it gets worse? What if they they threaten to leave? What if there's yelling, Hey, what if you bring it up and they repent and things get better? This is all about speaking the truth in love. Last week, Pastor Jack told us that your faith is worthless if it doesn't change the relationships you have, especially those within your own home. And he also said, if we're going to have a healthy marriage that nourishes healthy children, we must base it on what the Word of God says. And when you look at this passage, Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. And so if we start speaking the truth in love, we're going to grow. We should take our lead from Jesus, who is the head, who is the source of everything that we do. And if you study the Bible, you find that every single time Jesus encountered a person, they walked away different. They were changed after that encounter. And I ask you, is that something that's happening within your home? Are you having honest conversations with people in your home? Are you speaking the truth in love by actually speaking truth and coming clean when you've done something wrong? Are you speaking the truth in love by actually speaking truth and carefronting those you love? My friend Mike Butler, that's what he calls it, when you lovingly confront someone, you're carefronting them. Are you speaking the truth in a way that leads others to grow the way that Paul's talking about? To become mature in every respect? Are you doing that to move them closer to Jesus? Or are you giving them an excuse to walk away from Him? I'll tell you, in our home, when Lana and I have conversations about things going on in our life, we'll sit down and we'll talk about it. Sometimes we don't agree with what we're saying and sometimes we're at odds about that and we have to work through that, but we do it calmly. We do it respectfully. And we always do it in a way that leads to us working it out instead of walking out on the other. James 5.16 tells us, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And if you're here tonight and you want that healing, it all starts with understanding that Jesus came to change that for you. He left heaven to come down to earth and die on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And when we choose to follow Him and ask Him to change everything about us to help us stop living our life our own way and start living it His way, something begins to change there. And when you do that in a marriage relationship, the two of you move toward openly proclaiming your love to each other and finding a way to confess those sins to each other and praying for each other and wanting the best for each other. And that's when you start to help each other speak the way that God wants you to so that you can learn to love those that you live with. And so what's the third way to do that? You have a role to play. You have to understand that throughout this passage, one of the main points that Paul goes to the effort of telling them they need is they need to become greater in their Christian growth. He has already told them things like, don't be infants and grow up into Him. And now He says in verse 16, from Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This happens by framing all the pieces together and this should cause each of you to unite with one another by coming to the same opinion where the members of your household come into union with each other and share mutual affection for each other and start having some good communication with each other in order to improve growth and development between each of you and between your kids and between anyone else that sees the example that you're setting. And when each one of you is doing your part, the body is working effectively as it was designed by God to do. And so it will influence and enliven each member that's a part of that and make it convenient and possible for the body to grow. Well, how does something like that happen? I think he says the key right here in verse 16, where he says, from him. As I was studying this week, I was just reading this passage over and over and and those two words jumped out to me. That's the secret to doing this. It has to start from Him. You've got to find yourself in a place where you want the kind of marriage and family that only Jesus wants for you and you're going to run to Him and ask Him to help you in any way He can. You cannot have the marriage Jesus wants you to have if you don't have Jesus as the head of your marriage. And you may be thinking, well, Man, that'd be great if, this, if we were sitting in premarital counseling with you, but you know, you just don't understand. We're years into hurt and heartache and debt and unfulfilled dreams and adultery, and that's just the tip of the iceberg of what's wrong. If I started spilling my guts about everything that's going on in my marriage, you don't have time to listen to all that, Mike. If we started telling the secrets that we tried to hold on to, Who knows how long it would take for us to get to the very bottom of it. Or you might say, you know, I'm not in my first marriage anymore. It would be great if I'd have known that years ago. So how do I have a marriage now where everything starts with getting my direction from Him? Right there. You just start going to Him. And you can tell Him, you know what? I've never done this before, Jesus, but I want to. I want to start right tonight having the kind of marriage that you want me to have. what if you're still married, but you're hanging on by a thread because of things like sin and unforgiveness and selfishness? And you know if somebody, especially you, pulls on one of those threads just a little too much, the whole thing is going to come unraveled. What can you do to have a marriage that will last till death do us part? Chuck Swindoll in one of his great books about the family and marriage says, when responsibility gets mixed with routine, it starts to take a toll on us. That's when we have a decision to make. Are we going to move out and start over? Or are we going to stay and remodel? Are we going to walk away or rekindle the fire? And if you're going to stay and fight for the marriage you have, you need to know that there are a few things that need to happen in order for you and Jesus to start renovating your home. It will take longer than you planned. It will cost more than you figured. It will be messier than you anticipated. And it will require greater determination than you expected. I have these on the screen for you and I hope that, that they're helpful and encouraging. Well, You know, when I started typing out my notes this week, I realized that on one of those it's, I actually left off the T and I, I put I for a couple of them. It's a typo. But that sure will change the meaning of those, won't it? When I start looking at that and saying, I will take longer than I planned. I will cost more than I figured. I will be messier than anticipated. She already knows that about me. I will require greater determination than I ever expected. When I start to think about it that way, it's easy for us to look at other people in our relationship and still think, yeah, God has a lot of work to do on them. But it's a little harder to look in the mirror and start realizing the work that He needs to do in you. And ask Him to do that work in you. But that's exactly what we need to do. And since each of us has a part to play in this, a role, a responsibility, that means that each of us has to come before Him and get our direction from Him and ask Him to start changing us first. And the reason I know that you have to do that and how hard it is to do that is because I had to do that 10 years ago. My wife and I were on the very brink of divorce. Our marriage was a wreck. We were barely hanging on. And maybe you've heard me tell that story some, but you know, it's still true. And and I just got to tell you tonight that you can change because we did. And here's what had to happen. I had to get to the place where I realized God wanted to change me. Whether He saved my marriage or not, I was intent on coming to Him and getting those changes made from Him. He was going to change who Mike was. And if that saved our marriage, praise the Lord. But I had to work on me first. And I didn't read that sitting in a cushy office behind a desk or just kind of kicking back, watching a marriage seminar. That was sitting in an office with a marriage counselor. Just wondering, how are we going to make it? Will we make it? And everything I believed, everything I prayed for, was at a a crossroads right then. What was I going to do with that situation? But you know, I, I took that guy's advice, and I started asking God to change me. I will never forget where I was at when He pointed it out to me. And I'll tell you, God met me instantly right then, but He's still working on me. My wife will tell you that. My kids will tell you that. But God had to change me first. And you know what happened then? He started changing her. And I still remember the day we were here in this building. And it came to kind of this point in the service and and Rachel's up here leading us in a worship song and all of a sudden I see my wife step out of the aisle and run to the altar. And she threw herself down and started sobbing. Would we have gotten to that point if I hadn't asked God to change me first? Did she have some work to do with Him? Of course, but so did I. I remember her saying later on I ran there because I knew if I didn't get there I never would and you know maybe, maybe that's what you need to do tonight I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and I'm going to have our worship team come up but you know maybe it's just time for you to run back to God, maybe it's time for you to not worry about what others think and, and what you've done and what you've said and uh, you you just know I got to get to him and ask him to change me. I want you to know if you do that tonight there are going to be some people that are going to meet with you and pray with you. But more importantly, the Lord will meet you there. And He'll change everything about your life. Lord, thank You for marriage. We thank You for giving us someone to go through life with. And I ask tonight that You would bless husbands and wives that You would mature us and grow us into the spouses You have called us to be. Help us to love one another and to speak to each other that way with genuine love. Give the wives here a desire for their husbands and give the husbands that are here a passion for their wives and may Your peace surround us and calm any storms that come to distract or test us. Lord, please lead us and help us to judge wisely. We submit our ways to You, God, and ask for Your will to be done, especially in marriage. If God's speaking to you tonight, I encourage you to come. We'll be here to pray with you. We'll be here to help you.